Amen. Good morning and welcome. You can be seated. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online as well to this, our first of two services, which is the weekly Bible prophecy update. And then second service, which will be live streamed, by the way, at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time. That is the sermon. It's a verse by verse study through the Word of God. And we're currently in Second Peter. And today we're going to look at the dangers of hypocrisy and duplicity in condemning others for what we ourselves may be guilty of as we rightly discern false teachings and false teachers. I'm convicted just reading my notes. So if you don't stay for both services, we'll know why. <laughs> Again, that's at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time. Also, for those of you that are uh, watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, we would encourage you to go directly to the website at jdfarag.org. There you will find the uncensored, uninterrupted entirety of today's update. And with that, let's get to it. A lot to get to today. What I'm hoping to do today, with the empowering help of the Holy Spirit, is explain how the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In a sentence, the spirit, or if you prefer purpose of prophecy, is to point us to the person of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ, and the soon return of Jesus Christ. And it's for this reason that any prophecy teaching that's not a testimony of Jesus or prophecy teacher, myself included, that does not point to Jesus is not the spirit of prophecy. Revelation chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. So John is writing, he has this encounter with an angel, and he says, verse 9, then he, speaking of the angel, said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And John is so moved. We're told, verse 10, he says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now what I find so interesting about this encounter with this angel is how his attention, devotion, and even affection was redirected away from the messenger, the prophecy, and back to Jesus as the Savior. 
This is what I want to talk with you about today. The redirecting of our attention to, or if need be, back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All Bible prophecy points to Jesus. All Bible prophecy is fulfilled by Jesus. The very first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, affectionately referred to as the Proto-Evangelicum, the gospel of the coming Savior from the seed of the woman. Who's that? Jesus. Genesis 1.1, Jesus. <laughs> Let us create man in our image. Don't you find it interesting that it wasn't, let me create man in my image? No, that's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let us create man in our image. I think you would agree that there are so many voices, secular and sadly even sacred, that are clamoring for our attention, taking us away from Jesus. As many of you know, the stated purpose of these weekly Bible prophecy updates is to get Jesus to people and people to Jesus as quick as we can. Even in the prophecy updates, this is something that the Lord has been ministering to me as of late get to Jesus as quick as you can. Don't, don't tarry, for lack of a better word. Get to Jesus in your prophecy update, because the prophecy is a testimony of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is Jesus. The prophecy update that you're going to give is all about Jesus. So will you please just get to Jesus? Okay, Jesus, I'll get to you as soon as I possibly can. <laughs> and let me take it maybe just a little bit further <laughs> and say, dare I say, that the urgency to accomplish this is greater now than it's ever been. And this by virtue of the fact that the return of Jesus to rapture His church is closer now than it's ever been. It's evidenced by reports like this from just last Tuesday that the doomsday clock had moved 90 seconds closer to midnight, which is the closest it's ever been. Now please know that this doomsday clock is from members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, who have maintained the metaphorical clock since 1947, which is interesting to me, because that's a year before Israel was reborn as a nation. I find <laughs> major prophecy, <laughs> kind of setting the clock in motion. I will even say speeding it up. So isn't that ironic? So I, I point this out because this is a, a secular view of sacred prophecy pointing to doomsday. 
aka the end of the world, which I want you to know I find great comfort and delight in knowing that I'm not the only one talking about doomsday <laughs> as a doom and gloom preacher. Actually, we've updated that. It's uh, boom and zoom, because when... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't come up with that, by the way. Somebody online came up with that, and I totally stole it, so just so we're clear. Let me just uh, share some quotes from this report. The world is closer to catastrophe than ever. Now keep in mind, as I quote this, this is from a secular source. The doomsday clock, the metaphorical measure of challenges to humanity was reset to 90 seconds before midnight on Tuesday. The clock created a stir when it was set to 100 seconds to midnight in 2020, three years ago. Not two. Okay. 2020, the first time, listen to this, the famous clock had gone down to seconds rather than minutes. At the time, the bulletin's scientists said we were, quote, at doom's doorstep. That's, they're singing off of my sheet of music right there. It remained at 100 seconds to midnight in 2021 and 2022. Of the new update, Mary Robinson, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, said, quote, the doomsday clock is sounding an alarm for the whole of humanity. We are on the brink of a precipice. Wow. Would to God that Christians, and especially pastors, would be, quote, sounding an alarm for the whole of humanity as someone who is not a professing Christian is, an organization that is secular is. That's an indictment. I'm reminded of Revelation 12, where we're told that Satan knows he hath but a short time. Would to God that Christians would know that we have but a short time. We are to be sounding the alarm for the whole of humanity. We are on the brink. I like the word cusp better. It just kind of has more of a punch. Cusp of a precipice. Hmm. Question becomes one of what do they know, <laughs> or perhaps more importantly, how do they know how close we are? Could it be that they have everything pre-planned and scheduled, like a catastrophic cyber attack? This according to the World Economic Forum experts at the recent Davos conference, in which they called for a, quote, global response to the gathering cyberstorm. 
Here's some quotes. As economic and geopolitical instability spills into the new year, experts predict that 2023 will be a consequential year for cybersecurity. The developments, they say, will include an expanded threat landscape and increasingly sophisticated cyber attacks. I'm sorry I'm chuckling. I'll explain why I'm chuckling in a moment. There's a gathering cyberstorm, Sadie Kreese, a professor of cybersecurity at the University of Oxford, said during an interview at the World Economics Forum annual meeting 2023 in Davos, Switzerland. This storm is brewing, and it's really hard to anticipate just how bad that will be. There's been an enormous amount of insecurity around the world, Matthew Prince, the CEO of Cloudfare, stated during the annual meeting. I think 2023 is going to be a busy year in terms of cyber attacks. This is a global threat, and it calls for a global response and enhanced and coordinated action, Jurgen Stock, the Secretary General of Interpol, said in Davos. If this weren't bad enough, there was a press conference at said Davos conference titled Global Cybersecurity Outlook 2023, in which a Jeremy Jurgens, the World Economic Forum's managing director and head of the Forum Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution, said, and I quote, we're here today to share the findings of the World Economic Forum's Global Security Outlook Report 2023. This is a result of research in, and notice the common theme here, collaboration with the forum's communities and our partner, Accenture, in which we've interviewed and sought input from over 300 executives globally. The most striking finding that we found is that 93% of cyber leaders and 86% of cyber business leaders believe that the geopolitical instability makes a catastrophic cyber event likely, listen, in the next two years. How do they know that? because that's when they've scheduled it. That's when they're planning it. So 2025 or sooner. It's important to understand that these are all actors. And they're following a script. And you'll, you'll notice when they say things like that, which I've just quoted. They, they use the same thing, but they say it in a different way. They, they use different verbiage to express basically the same thing. Global crisis, global solution. What they don't say is, we created the global crisis. And thankfully, we're forewarned about this in Bible prophecy, namely that of a global bio-digital system that is hackable 
and programmable, and it will be vis-a-vis the usual suspects. By usual suspects, I mean the evil perpetrators of this global digital web net. Can we just real quick connect those dots? You're caught in the web. You're caught in the net. I'll just let the Holy Spirit take that one from there, apparently. Did you, did you catch that? It's a, it's a net. It's a web. So these perpetrators of this will be the ones to create the cyberstorm crisis, control the digital reaction, and program the final solution. And that's why I'm kind of chuckling a little bit. If I don't laugh, I'll cry. And I think I'd rather laugh than cry, because this is very sad. It's sad on several fronts. <laughs> chief of which is, if one has spiritual discernment and understanding and wisdom from above that's first pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated and full of mercy and good fruits without hypocrisy or partiality, bearing fruit unto righteousness. If one has that wisdom from above, you can see right through this. And not only see right through this, but you can see Bible prophecy in this. Well, wait a minute. This kind of looks like what we're told would happen at the time of the end, and it's happening. See, Satan is not omnipresent. What do you mean? He cannot be two places at one time. That's why he has his minions, the demons, the principalities, and powers of darkness, these high-ranking, different-ranking entities in the spiritual realm that Paul delineates in Ephesians 6. So he cannot be two places in one time. So if he wants to control everything, he has to have it all centralized. He has to have it all in one place, because he can only be in one place. And this is what is happening. So let's, let's create the, the crisis. Uh, what's the crisis? Oh, we're going to crash the internet. Well, that's not very uh, convenient, because you just forced everyone onto the internet online. And so now, now you've got everybody funneled in and forced into your net slash web. Now you're going, you've, you've got people right where you want them. This was the plan all along. This evil conspiracy, this evil satanic plot. So now that everyone is caught in this net, in this cyber web, if you will, now you can crash it, create the crisis. You can control the reaction digitally, because everything now is digital. By the way, just parenthetically, I, I want to share this. Uh, it came in an interesting way from an online member. I have to uh, sort of protect his identity. But uh, he told me that um, after 9-11, uh, one of the purposes of 9-11 was to force people out of 
analog cell phone technology and into digital cell phone technology because you cannot track or control analog. You can track and control the digital. And I remember that. I had a, a like you probably, a flip phone at the time. Uh, this is before smartphones, so I guess they were dumb phones. I don't know. But so I had a dumb phone, which was appropriate. And I, you know, but it was analog and it was very clear. You didn't have the, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? It was very clear. The coverage was very good. And then all of a sudden now the cell phone carriers were switching over to digital, forcing us out of analog into digital. And I remember initially, I'm like, I want analog. Well, you can't have it anymore. We're shutting it down. So we're going to have to funnel you into and force you into now this digital system. That's what they're doing right now. That's what they're doing right now. They're forcing everyone into this digital web so they have complete control and it's centralized. Now, this technology is exactly what the book of Revelation describes, particularly in chapter 13, concerning the restrictions on what one can buy or sell. I know a prophecy familiar to most. But this pre-planned cyberstorm, and it is pre-planned, will be executed so as to force everyone into a digital world, even a virtual world, where one is controlled restricted or forbidden access. And I use the word forbidden because of a specific prophecy marking the last days in which there is this restricting and forbidding of, get this, the eating of meat under the banner of climate change. Now let me just parenthetically say that there is climate change because these conspirators have changed the climate. They've geoengineered and manipulated the weather. And they've had the technology for decades to do it, and they are doing it. They're deliberately changing the climate. So there is climate change. But here again, they're creating the climate crisis. There is climate change because you're changing the climate. So under the banner of climate change, we have all of these now new upcoming regulations and restrictions. And 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I would like for us to revisit this prophecy through this lens. Now, Paul writing to Timothy, says, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy as they fly in their $50 million private jets burning 500 jillion gallons of jet fuel to their environmentally friendly conference in Davos, Switzerland. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 
And I want you to pay particular attention to verse 3. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Oh, God. Whoa. Well, God knows everything. Which God, and this is key, hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Did you catch that? Um, everything we talked about this last week, I think. Well, that's pretty bad. We don't remember what the prophecy update was last week. Um, yeah, I think it was last week. That everything is against the creation of God. This, this is against God, Psalm 2. Everything that God's created, the, the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that in them is, land, air, and sea, and Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, wants to destroy all that God has created. God created meat. And aren't you glad, by the way? I'm going to barbecue this afternoon just because of this. <laughs> Enter this World Economic Forum Davos 2023 open forum titled Mobilizing for Climate. AG Chairman Jim Hageman said, and I quote, my daughter inspired me and said, how can you advocate for these serial carbon value chains if you still eat meat? So I stopped eating meat. Now the math would say, well, you need to stop eating meat. It's 11 years to compensate for a flight to Thailand. Yes, but if a billion people stop eating meat, I tell you, it has a big impact. Not only does it have a big impact on the current food system, but it will also inspire innovation of food systems. I want you to uh, keep that word in mind too. I predict that we will have proteins not coming from meat in the future. They will probably taste even better. So why are we trying to mimic meat if we can have a better taste? They will be zero carbon and much healthier than the kind of food that we eat today. That is the mission that we need to get on. I find that comment, that is the mission that we need to get on, most interesting. Because it sums up the seducing spirits and doctrines of demons in the last days. It is seductive. The whole environmental movement, going green, it's a, it's a seducing spirit. Don't be seduced by that spirit. It's a demonic doctrine, and it's like a religion, isn't it? The climate change doctrine, the climate change religion, it's a religion. They've been seduced by the spirits to these doctrines of demons, exactly as Paul has said. Okay. This mission that we need to get on, not we, they, apparently they need to get on, it's to collectively come together globally, to implement this aforementioned cyber system and technology infrastructure to save the planet. 
Um, let's see. By the way, spoiler alert for Second uh, Timothy chapter three. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. Um, I, I, I don't think that that's going to work because my Bible says not just in Second Peter, but uh, it's all going to burn, and not from quote-unquote global warming either. It's going to be destroyed by fire. And oh, we're getting a new one, the new heavens and the new earth. So why are you trying to patch this one up? Why are you trying to fix this one if we're going to get a new one? Oh, I know why, because you've been seduced, and you've believed, and you've been deceived by these demonic doctrines. Well, this technology infrastructure is again exactly what's prophesied in the book of Revelation. This cyber system will be under the control of the Antichrist in the seven-year tribulation, which commences subsequent to the rapture. Now that is an indicator to us of just how close we are, not on their doomsday clock, but on God's prophetic clock. This brings me to what is arguably the most significant indicator of just how close we are to midnight, as it were, on God's prophetic clock. But we'll go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook and redirect you to the website. Kindly allow me to preface what I'm about to share with you by saying that the COVID-19 vaccine, so-called, is the nexus that connects everything and ultimately pulls the final lever in the end. This is probably as good of a time as any to once again say, I hope you don't tire of me saying this, but um, the vaccine, so-called, was not made for COVID. COVID was made for the vaccine. Did you, did you understand that? So they created COVID so they could have the final solution. That's quoting Bill Gates, by the way, in 2020. The, the crisis in a textbook Hegelian dialectic, the created crisis, this COVID-19 virus, the controlled reaction, and then the final solution, which is, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, that's just the truth. That's the truth. This was created for that purpose, so that people would now understand, I'm about to quote from this forum one Tony Blair, the former UK Prime Minister. And this is a preface of sorts, because they all but admit that this was the purpose of this created crisis. It was so that they could then introduce this digital infrastructure slash system. Well, 
This was at the 100 days to outrace the next pandemic. Oh, we got another one. They scheduled another one. Wow. Well, this is Tony Blair. And he said, and I quote, you're going to have to look after that population first. And I also think this issue to do with the technology and the digital infrastructure. I just want to emphasize how important I think that is, because in the end you need the data. You need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been. Some of the vaccines that will come on down the line will be multiple. There, there'll be multiple shots. So you got to have for reasons to do with health care and more generally, but certainly for a pandemic or for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. So again, you've got to say, okay, who are the people that can make this happen? How do you get the right partnerships collaboration in place? So my view is, this is what I'm arguing that should happen in the G20, particularly I think, which is the broader forum, is you've got to work out what it is that you want to achieve in order to make sure that any future pandemic is properly handled and what are the partnerships that you're going to create in order to ensure that the answers you get are the right answers? Then you're going to have to have the mechanisms of implementation, and those mechanisms will be partly through the formal institutions that you have, like the World Trade Organization? That's financial. That's Revelation 13. The World Trade Organization, but they'll also be through organizations like yours, the World Economic Forum. Economic Forum. That's financial. That's Revelation 13. So we've got to have this, this infrastructure that we've got to create and there has to be a collaboration globally, collectively, so we can implement the mechanisms, this system. So the World Economic Forum, which has many advantages, because listen to the reason why. They don't get landed with the same bureaucracy and, frankly, small politics around them. So I think that's what we need to do. But if you want the politicians to focus on a plan, oh, they admitted, you, you, you guys are planning this. this. This is your plan. Yeah, you planned it all along. He says, quote, I promise you it's got to be because they think in the next few years, not in the broad future, it's going to matter to them to have that plan. So Blair was then asked by the moderator the following. Let me just inject a comment of my own. Inject? Really? No, that's what they said. these people. You raise the importance of the digital infrastructure. And we saw in countries that had good digital infrastructure, 
Israel, for example, was with its ability to assess the efficacy and effectiveness of the Pfizer and other vaccines, the UK where the national health system allowed very rapid evaluations of the efficacy of different kinds of approaches. They made disproportionate contributions to our understanding of COVID and to the delivery of improved clinical care when we were learning really rapidly. Blair responded by saying, quote, right. One other thing, by the way, is genomic sequencing. I think we had established the right network of that. And how do we make sure that if you are discovering things in a country, because they're doing a lot of genomic sequencing. Speaking specifically about Israel and one Benjamin Netanyahu, now Prime Minister again. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. They provided a database of the DNA of Israelis to Pfizer, a DNA database. It should be noted that Pfizer's CEO, Albert Borla, was also present on this panel. And prior to Blair, reinforced this call for a digital system of vaccination verification. Uh, let me just share a couple of quotes in which he all but says that there must be an enforcement of mandates and forced vaccinations given current politicizing and public skepticism. Here's the quote. The ability to use vaccines or not became severely politicized and became a political statement. If you are wearing a mask or not became a political statement. If you believe we will have a vaccine or not, and after we have the vaccine, it became a political statement if you believe it works or not. And then we went to more extremes. If you believe that COVID existed or not. And then he says this, all of these were constantly in our way. Translated, get them out of our way. Get them out of our way. And that's where I'm going with this. When someone like Borla says something like that, what he's really saying is, we're going to bypass everything and do it our way. And they can, by the way. Um, I don't watch TV anymore. I've been, I've been delivered. <laughs> It's been uh, going on eight months now. It's been such a freeing, uh, and it's been so cha life changing in my own life. Um, but uh, when I did, and even uh, when I stopped, I would see these videos where they would put together these different clips of major television broadcasts it's brought to you by Pfizer sponsored by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer. And then it's a, <laughs> in other words, Pfizer owns that. 
So you can't do anything, because if they pull their funding, you're done. That's your paycheck. You're working for Pfizer, and you better toe the line. So if you come out and say anything against Pfizer, then you're bankrupt. They own the advertising, and they have all this money. Of course they have all this money, because in 1986, Ronald Reagan, sadly, signed what is known as the Act, when all of the big pharma companies came to the president and said, we're going bankrupt because of vaccine injuries, and we're getting sued for damages because of the vaccine injuries. And if we keep getting sued and keep paying out billions and tens of billions of dollars, we will not be able to continue to make vaccines. I would have said, good. But they didn't. So they signed the act, which basically meant this, that no pharmaceutical company could ever be held liable for any vaccine damage or injury ever. Well, what about when somebody's vaccine injured and wants to get uh, uh, damages? Guess who pays it? We do. Government tax dollars. So have a nice afternoon. That'll, that'll help with your barbecue. Um, so what they're saying is, we're, we just need this out of the way because we've had to deal with this being in our way. We just want to have a, a blank check, free reign, to do what we're going to do. What are you going to do? What is what you're going to do look like? Well, what you're going to do and what that looks like is a global digital infrastructure where one can only function predicated upon Carmen credit scores and social credit scores. Okay, Pastor, you're killing me here. I've got whiplash. You've got me over. I, I'm still trying to process cyber attacks, the cyber storm. Um, I, I'm also now trying to process the uh, seducing spirit of climate change and the hypocrisy of it all and the, the, the demonic <laughs> doctrine of it all. And then you've got me over here back to the, the vaccine again. And how does this testify of Jesus? How is this the spirit of prophecy? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I have no idea, but uh, no, I, I do. I do. Just trying to lighten it up a little bit. The way it all comes together is this. You've got climate change, carbon credit scores. You've got digital currency or vaccination verification systems and digital or technological infrastructures that's now all centralized. And your ability to buy or sell will be predicated upon those scores, your carbon footprint, your compliance socially your social credit score. And everything will come down to, and this is what I mean by the nexus, everything will come down to whether or not, as Tony Blair says, you've been vaccinated or not. 
And no more, by the way, uh, forging those cards. You know who you are. <laughs> it's all going to, that's another reason, by the way, it's all going to be digital using blockchain technology, which is already in place. We've talked about that at length, in depth. So to answer your question of how is this a testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, it's because if all of this, by their own admission, is this close? I mean, we're talking 2025. If, if, if all of this that they're planning, pre-planned, is that close? How much closer is the rapture? That's a testimony of Jesus. That's the spirit of prophecy. Because this was prophesied. In that spirit of prophecy, a testimony of Jesus. This points me to Jesus. Because I'm looking at this thing going, <laughs> that, that, that's just, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, that's more local. Ho, ho. <laughs> they're telling me that they're really close. They just moved the doomsday clock closer than they <laughs> have ever moved it to midnight. So we must be close. Well, I'm told that Jesus is coming, so that must be closer. And it points me to Jesus. It's a testimony of Jesus. It testifies of Jesus. It's a prophecy of Jesus, because all prophecy is about Jesus. That's the best answer I got, so I hope that is uh, satisfactory. So that's what. But here is how again. By way of a controlled demolition of the existing global infrastructure, forcing everyone into this controlled global infrastructure. And this so-called COVID vaccine in some form or another will be the nexus. It's all going to come down to that. Have you been vaccinated or have you not been vaccinated? If you've not been vaccinated, um, sorry, account suspended. You know that uh, forbidden 404, some of you guys that are internet savvy know when you uh, click on a link that's no longer uh, valid and you'll get, <laughs> it's really ominous, right? I mean, forbidden. Whoa, what did I do? <laughs> Sorry, Lord, forbidden 404. Okay, well, I'm, you click out that tab real fast. Whatever I did was forbidden. Well, that's what you're going to get. Not you. <laughs> that's what's going to pop up. Forbidden. No access. Suspended. Why? Because you haven't had your 521st booster shot. <laughs> Again, I'm just trying to bring in some levity to actually a very serious situation, which is actually where I'm headed with all of this. So this is evil, man. And we shouldn't be surprised, but God, but God. As I was preparing for today's update, it, it struck me that it's really a but God update of sorts. The whole update, 
This is, here I am up here yelling and screaming and spitting on the front row and saying, you know, this is evil. This is an evil plan, an evil conspiracy, an evil plot, satanic, demonic. But God. By the way, we refer to these but God stories because of Genesis 50-20, when Joseph, after their father died, the brothers are thinking, well, now that dad's gone, Joseph is going to mete out his revenge on us for what we did to him, all of the evil against him. So listen to Joseph's response. But as for you, speaking of his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God. Those two words change everything. Yeah, you meant this for evil. Yeah, this, this is all meant for evil, for the destruction of mankind, but God is using it for good. Joseph says, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive, as some of your translations render it, for the salvation of many this day. As only God can, He can take that which is meant for evil, and this is evil, and He can, I don't know how He does it, I don't know the way He does it, I just know that He does it. He takes it, and He just makes it good. I'm going to take, see, you've got to remember now, the devil is God's devil. He's a created being. He's not God's opposite. Never imagine, and this is something he's done very successfully, I might add, is he's gotten Christians to na naively believe and be deceived that he's opposite God. He's not. He can't do a thing unless God gives him permission to. He cannot touch you or anything in your life unless God allows him to. And some of you are freaking out right now. Uh, and God will never allow him to do anything unless it ultimately is for his glory and our good. Ask Job. Ask Job. Ask Peter, by the way. And the many like them and with them. The devil, interesting Job, let's just real quick use Job as an, as an example. Here's a guy, right? Righteous and Satan who still has access to heaven, apparently, which is why we're going to get new heavens, um, is, you know, kind of hanging out and, you know, walking by and, and, and of course God notices, and he knows why he's there. See, Satan's not all-knowing either. Only God is all-knowing. Only God is all omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. He's all-knowing. Satan is not all-knowing. He doesn't know. So God knows what Satan's been up to. and So he, he brings it up. He says, I, I, have you noticed my, my servant Job? Oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, God, that's what I was kind of in the neighborhood wanting to talk to you about. And so here, here it comes. Uh, yeah, no wonder he's so righteous and upright you let me have my way with him, and he'll curse you to your face. And God, who knows the end from the beginning, because he would have never allowed Satan to do that, had he not known that Job would not curse him. So he said, okay, you can do this, but that's it. And he does it. And ultimately it served 
for God's glory in the end and Job's good in the end. And please understand that all this evil, God is able. He takes the bad and He makes it good. No matter how bad or evil it is, it cannot change how good God always is. God is good. Yeah, but this is really bad. But God is good. Are you telling me that the evil and the bad is going to determine the goodness of God? No, it cannot. Yeah, but it's almost like they're getting away with it. They won't. Thursday night we were uh, Jeremiah chapter 50, and then this Thursday, Lord willing, is chapter 51, gnarly chapters about the prophecies concerning the destruction of Babylon. I mean, wow. <laughs> no, yes, yes, they're, they're going to get it. God's going to have the final word in the end, because He's a just God. All that is happening in the world today is meant for evil, but God means it for good, for the salvation of many. How many do you and I know that have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of this, that would not have otherwise come to Jesus Christ or recommitted their lives to Jesus Christ had it not been for this evil? That's why God allows it. And this is both how and why the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus tells us what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens, we will believe that He is the I Am. One more thing on this, and it's kind of a big issue as it relates to the many born-again Christians that, for one reason or another, were injected with this poisonous death shot. And that's what this is, a poisonous death shot. And uh, again, let me uh, say that if you're born again and you had this injection again for whatever reason, you cannot be unborn again. You're still saved. You're still saved. But this is a big issue because doubtless you're hearing of the numerous and voluminous reports of sudden deaths as a direct result of this demonic injection. I want to encourage you with something that a dear sister in Christ who has been injected shared with me in this regard, and it's in 2 Kings chapter 4 beginning in verse 38. And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, poisonous vine, and gathered it from it a lapful of wild gourds, poisonous gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what was in the vaccine. Ah, oh, this doesn't say that, I'm sorry. Though they did not know what they were. Hmm, sound familiar? Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened 
as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, man of God, there is death in the shot. I mean pot. No, it says pot. There's death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, this is Elisha, then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Wow, that's some kind of flour. No, it's not the flour. It's a miracle. Now here's why I wanted to share this with you. God can miraculously, mercifully restrain the poison from harming you as He even now is. How so? By partaking of the flower or bread of life, which is the person of Jesus Christ and the testimony of Jesus Christ, who is the spirit of prophecy. One more very fascinating account, rich in its typology. You remember when the Israelites were in the Exodus wanderings in the wilderness. And once again, they're starting to complain again. And don't be too hard on them, because you would have been right there with them complaining. In fact, I'll confess, I'd probably be right at the front of the line. What's going on here? Where's the water? I'm very thirsty. And then they come upon these waters called Mara, which means bitter. And they're so thirsty. And they're, they're trying to drink this water. And it's, it's so bitter. There's death in the water. <laughs> There's poison in the water. So God has Moses take wood, a type of the cross, and put it into that bitter water, and it turns sweet. You see the typology? You bring Jesus into that situation. You bring the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross into that situation, and it turns bitter to sweet, poisonous and harmful to harmless. It's a testimony of Jesus. It's the spirit of prophecy. I suppose you could say that it all comes down to Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So get to Jesus <laughs> as quick as you can. Jesus is the spirit of the purpose of prophecy. All prophecy is fulfilled by Jesus. And in so doing, it causes us to, to look up, as Jesus said, and lift up your, your heads, knowing that the rapture is drawing nearer I believe, then 90 seconds to midnight. I think we're a second to midnight. I mean, I think we're even closer than that. That's how close we are. And this is why we do these updates. This is why we end with the gospel, the good news of salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the gospel includes the rapture. The gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first four verses is, Jesus was crucified, He was buried, and He rose again on the third day. Writing to the Thessalonians, the first time the Apostle Paul explains the gospel, he says it's the death, burial, and resurrection, and rapture. That's the good news. And think about it. 
<laughs> Good news. Jesus died for you. He was buried for you. And He rose again for you. Have a nice day. And He's coming back for you. Oh, that's way more better. It's the more better news. <laughs> okay, I'm going to leave that one there. Quit while I'm ahead. So what are the ABCs of salvation? Again, it's just a, a, a simple childlike explanation of salvation. Should God ever present the profound privilege and opportunity for you to share Jesus with somebody, you've got a very simple way to do it. It's in equipping you, equipping the church, the Christian, so that you're always prepared with an answer of that hope that lies within you, the blessed hope. So the A is just simply for acknowledge or admit that you're a sinner. And sometimes there is merit to this. You do have to start there, because if you don't start there and take them to the reality that they've broken God's law. Well, but I haven't murdered anybody. doesn't matter. If you hated anybody in your heart, Jesus said, you've murdered, you've broken the law. And if you've broken one of the commandments, you've broken all 10 of them. So you're a lawbreaker and you've transgressed. And this is why Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one is good. You might think you're good, but you'll never be good enough. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, miss the mark of God's perfect standard of righteousness. It's an archery term, miss the bullseye of God's perfect standard of righteousness. Only one was able to satisfy that perfect standard of righteousness, and His name is Jesus. He was the only one that qualified and fulfilled the law in our stead with His blood shed. And that's Romans 6.23. This is the death penalty that's now pronounced on all who have sinned. We are all born sinners, which is why we must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. The wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the A. Here's the B. It's simply and centrally, by the way, for believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And then the C lastly is for call upon the name of the Lord. Or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, simply, and I emphasize simply, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. Well, I chose today's But God testimony for a reason. I think you'll see why. I hope you'll see why here in a moment. It's really a, a testimony of Jesus as a spirit of prophecy. It comes from Rebecca Hart, who writes, I was thrilled to hear that you are speaking with Dane Wigington, who I referenced last week. Get this. She writes, I had prayed long ago 
2016, seven years ago, that Dane would team up with a prominent pastor. That's like a prophetic prayer. One, to get the word out about geoengineering to Christians, and two, that the pastor would be influential in Dane's life. I'm so thrilled that pastor is you, JD. Thank you for your prophecy updates, pastor. That's the spirit of prophecy. That's the testimony of Jesus. It testifies of Jesus. It points people to Jesus. Seven years ago, who knew? Well, God knew. She's praying. Oh, obviously she has a heart for the lost. And in particular, Dane Wigington. And she's praying for his salvation, even before I was, or any of you were. And 2016, she gets more specific. And by the way, that's uh, a lesson unto itself. Pray specifically, fervently, effectually, very specifically. So she started praying very specifically. God, bring a pastor, not just a, any pastor. This is, I hate this part. I hope this doesn't come off wrong. You guys know my heart. I'm so self-deprecating. Um, one who's influential uh, into Dane's life. And not just to get the word out about the evil of geoengineering, but to also have an impact on Dane's life to bring him to Jesus. So I get, okay, well, if God can use a donkey in Numbers 22, by the way, that's next week, Second uh, Peter. Well, if he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through me. God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, right? The last, the least. Okay, I'm done. Cabono, come on up. Why don't you go ahead and stand up? Yeah. <laughs> go ahead and stand. I've been really working on these endings. They're so seamless, aren't they? And smooth. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you so, so, so much, God. Lord, we, <laughs> we're just in awe of you, oh God, who is like unto you, oh God. Faithful and true are all of your sayings and all of your judgments are true and amen, just and righteous. So Lord, here we are on the precipice, <laughs> the cusp of the precipice. And we know what's next. We know what's coming. And we know it's that trumpet sounding and the dead in Christ rising first. And we who were alive and remain being caught up, raptured up to meet you in the air and forever be with you. And Lord, if all of these things that we're talking about, digital infrastructures that are going to be set up and operational during the seven year tribulation are already in place. Well, as you said, when you see these things begin to take place and be put in place, that we as believers, born again believers, can look up and lift up our heads, be encouraged, because our redemption draws ever so close. 
And for the non-believer, Lord, please, as you said in John 14, 29, I've told you what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens, you'll believe. Lord, I pray that those who do not know you will see through this, see in this, you, Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. And that this prophecy of telling us what's going to happen before it happens will be that which brings them to you today. Today's the day of salvation. Please, Lord, we pray and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.